0: the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 Days of Matthew. All right, so uh, this is uh, Matthew chapter 2. Again, Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. They have the same stories, uh, but they look at it from a different way. John is completely different. There's a technical term for that. I didn't mention it yesterday, but it's called the Synoptic Gospels. Optic from looking and sin meaning, uh, sin, S-Y-N meaning together. So they kind of look at Jesus' life together. The Synoptic Gospels. Anyway, so uh, I'm just going to start reading in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where this Messiah was to be born, and they said, In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is where the prophet is written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found uh, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, "'Go and search carefully for the child, "'and as soon as you find him, report to me, "'so that I too may go and worship him.' And after they had heard the king, they went on their way And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with a gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So this is the the birth story from Matthew uh, in Luke is the one that's on the Peanuts show, right, the the Charlie Brown Christmas, where Linus gets up there and and speaks from memory, Luke chapter 2. But this is Matthew. Um, This is the story about Jesus' birth in Matthew. And a couple different things. First of all, we find now we have another character, another set of characters from the East, and they're called magi, or they're also called wise men. In the Greek, it is magoi. And it really, truly is uh, where the word magician comes from, right? These are uh, diviners. They are people who can interpret dreams. They're people who are basically astrologers. They look in the sky and they look for signs from God. And so here we have these magi constantly spending time looking for God, looking for signs from God, trying to figure out, what God is trying to say to the world, and all of a sudden, God decides to speak to these Magi, right, he puts in a star. There must have been some incredible celestial event that when they saw it, the Magi decide to take a travel all the way from the Orient, I don't know how long this took, to come over to, into Jerusalem, into Bethlehem to see, well, first they go to Jerusalem and then they go to Bethlehem to see Jesus. Um, we have no idea, you know, what this star was. They didn't record it. History doesn't record it. Of course, you can see lots of things online about what could have been the star that, you know, a confluence of a couple stars or whatever, and we don't know. It could have been a comet. We, we just really don't know. It's, a, uh, it's an interesting, uh, way, you know, path, rabbit hole to go down to try to figure out what in the world this, this star was. But the more important thing is that God gave a sign to these foreigners that were in the East to come and find Jesus. I mean, they were not part of the Jewish religion. They were not part of anything in the Middle East. They were the Far East, and yet they decide to come based upon this celestial event to find find Jesus. Now, we in the church here celebrate um, this coming to find Jesus. It's called Epiphany, and uh, it's on January 6th. And uh, so you have the days of Christmas are from, are from December 25th to January 26th, that's Epiphany, it's the 12 days of Christmas and it ends with, with Epiphany with the Magi at the, at the manger uh, worshiping the child. But um, probably took them more than 12 days to get there, It probably took a long time, so either they, the star preceded the birth of Jesus and they started on their journey or maybe uh, it took them a couple months and by the time they got there, they were we, we don't know, it doesn't really say. But again, the more important thing is that they were magicians. Outsiders that came in, they saw a sign. So somehow God spoke to outsiders. And um, of course, that's a question today. Does God speak to outsiders? Does he only speak to insiders? Can God have a special revelation to somebody? Of course, God can do whatever God wants to do, right? He's, he's God. Um, and if somebody said, um, I, "I feel as if God is talking to me," I mean, you should really take that seriously because perhaps, especially especially these people who are seeking God, they're they're spending their whole entire life looking at the stars, seeking God. Um, they uh, they certainly they certainly were looking for Him, spending a lot of time. Um, Good, good question. Today, I suppose would be is God speaking to us today outside of um, His normal path of speaking, which is uh, it says uh, it says that in days of old God spoke through the prophets, but now He speaks through His Son. Uh, if you remember that, it's in John somewhere. Yeah, John, First John four one. Dear friends, do not no. Uh, in days of old. Uh, God spoke through the prophets. Now he speaks through, that's in Hebrews. Um, Now he speaks through his son. So in olden times, God would speak through the prophets. Uh, And a lot of prophets wrote uh, and spoke and and came to dynasties and kings and they spoke. and, uh, And that's how God spoke. But after Jesus came, he spoke through Jesus. And then they recorded what Jesus said and that became scripture. And so that is kind of the gold standard to when God is speaking is scripture. Now, can God speak outside of scripture? I mean, if somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, I think God is speaking to me. um, I would never discount that because God speaks to people however he wants to speak to people. But one of the, so let's say, okay, we're in this coronavirus thing, right? So let's say that. Um, God came up to you and said, when it comes time to start being released, um, even though I have, you know, these conditions, God's told me to go ahead and and come out and start talking to the public because God has told me in a dream or in a vision or he's told me that I am not going to get sick from this coronavirus. And they came to me and they say, Pastor, what do you think about that? I mean, uh, do, can God say that to me? Well, um, Here's, here's how I kind of view this. Can God do that? And I would say the answer is yes, because God is God. He can do whatever he wants. And I have heard of people who have uh, these communications with God where God's telling them. I mean, the New Testament's filled with that, right? Um, but where people feel like they're getting a communication from God. Um, and I will tell you that I spend a lot of time with God, and I do feel that there are times when God is nudging me in a certain direction or trying to tell me something. The problem is, and this is just the way it is, is that I am a sinful human being. I'm still stained with the old Adam, as we all are. we fell, we are not perfect, and so even though God may be trying to nudge us in a perfect direction, because he's God, We do not always hear perfectly because we are not perfect human beings. And that's just the bottom line. So it's like, well, how does God communicate? Or if God wants to communicate, or if he's trying to nudge me in a certain direction, how does he do that? And the answer would be, well, um, he uses his spirit in your life. He does, you know, these communications. You just can't always. But there's another thing, and that is that... um, when God speaks, you, He never goes against His Scripture. Because His Scripture is the standard for how He communicates. Remember, in olden days, He spoke through prophets. Today, He speaks through His Son. So, the gold standard of God speaking to humanity right now is His Scripture. So, we have to take what we think God is calling us to do and we have to test it with what Scripture is saying. Um, that's in John, 1 John 4, 1, where John says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. So basically, what Scripture says is that test anything that anybody says. Go back to the gold standard and make sure that what you're hearing from God, because you're a sinful human being, is truly in line with God's scripture because God's scripture is sacrosanct. sacrosanct. Luther felt this very, very, very firmly. Um, The early church felt this very firmly. The standard for God's communication into the world today is scripture. Now, does that mean God can't go outside of scripture? That is for God to decide, and if he wants to speak to somebody in a very direct and real way, that's between them and God, but it always has to be compared against scripture. So if a person said to me, you know, God's telling me to kill my mother, uh, I would say, well, that is probably not God because it says very clearly in scripture, thou shalt not kill. Um, but in some of these other things that with a subtle influence, God's telling me to, to step out in faith and go catch the coronavirus and he won't let me die. You know, I just, I, I would be very careful about those things. God says, Don't kill yourself, right? I mean, so you have to test yourself against what Scripture says. But in my view, the closer you are in communication with God and have that relationship, the more comfortable I would feel for you to say, yeah, I think God's leading me in this direction. Because I think the more you spend time in communicating with God, the more His will in your life gets done through you and the more you realize what his will is, the more you communicate with God. So, you know, if this is just a passing thing that just happened, boom, maybe a little bit more skeptical, but if you spend a lot of time uh, with God in prayer and in uh, solitude and in scripture, and you understand where God uh, is dealing in this world, um, maybe maybe then uh, he is speaking to you in different ways. So. Um, that is basically the first part of that. Um, and then, of course, we have this horrible story, um, starting in verse 13. How are we doing on time? Okay. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When they had gone, the, uh, the magi, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. So I I find this interesting that these outsiders come in. uh, We saw a sign. And they go into Jerusalem and all the wise men in Jerusalem, they weren't wise men, but they were the, you know, the people, the religious leaders and wise men say, yeah, well, there was this prophecy and it said that he would be in Bethlehem. So go to Bethlehem. And so the wise men go to Bethlehem and they search for the child and they find the child. So basically for Matthew, what that is, is another confirmation that this child is the Messiah. Remember the whole book of Matthew is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So here you have outsiders coming in from completely outside of this religious system, and they come and they find out that, that Jesus is the Messiah. They find Jesus from the prophecies. They've, they go to the place where Jesus is because of all of the external things that are pointing towards Jesus. This isn't, um, uh, this isn't uh, well, it's proof that Jesus is the Messiah, because outsiders come and they come and find Jesus as the Messiah. It's a big deal for Matthew. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, Herod is freaked out by this. And so he says, well, when you find the child, uh, tell me. But they go and they leave. And so Herod realizes, um, so Joseph got up. Oh, now this is verse 14. He got up, he took the child and his mother, and they left for Egypt. And there they stayed until the death of Herod. And that fulfilled another prophecy. Out of Egypt I've called my son. When Herod King Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Jerusalem in its vicinity who were two years and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So the Magi, you know, there's somewhere there's a period of two, two years here. Um, and then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So you have this guy, King Herod, who is so afraid of being dethroned because now there's somebody else prophesied who's going to be born in Bethlehem. He sends them to Bethlehem, come and tell me. And... If the Magi had gone back and said, "Yeah, it's Jesus," then he would have gone and killed Jesus. Jesus flees to Egypt with Mary and Joseph, and they don't tell the Magi. Don't tell Herod, and so Herod does this horrible thing. He decides to go and kill all the boys in Jerusalem in Bethlehem that are two years and younger. And we don't know how many people this is, but this is just horrible. Um, there's a song uh, at Christmas time and. We love it because it's a great Christmas tale. Lule, lule, thou little tiny child. Well, bye-bye, lule, lule. It's a beautiful song. It's kind of in a minor key. That whole song is about Herod the king in his raging goes and kills all the, childs under, all the children and two years younger in, in Bethlehem. And uh, Herod, uh, so this is Herod the Great, right? Herod, the great, the great Herod. He was... Put in charge of this whole entire region uh, by the Roman, Roman Senate. Senate, and um, he is not the same Herod that was at the time of Jesus. Uh, Herod had um, uh, a son, uh, and then that son ruled, and then the son's brother was the one that uh, was there at the time of Jesus. So it's still kind of, t- but they weren't Jewish necessarily. They were in charge of this Jewish nation. They did a lot of nice things. Uh, they did some rebuilding of the temple, uh, but, but they were basically in charge of um, this, this kingship. They were given this kingship over, over Jerusalem. But, but Herod, uh, apparently, especially later on in his life, he became senile and crazy, and I think he killed his wife and his kids, um, and basically was so addicted to power that he was so afraid that Jesus was going to rise to power and overthrow him, that he had Jesus killed. Um, and, you know, it, it, it goes to this saying that I believe wholeheartedly with all my heart, which is that um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That once you get power, once you get the taste of having unlimited power then you are able to do things like kill innocent children. And, and there are people that report to you or are part of your kingdom or whatever that will do this because they don't want you to be out of power because they want that association with you in power. And uh, Herod apparently was one of these things. And kings throughout history have been this way, right? I mean, kings uh, have absolute power. It's so difficult for us to understand here in the United States because we distribute our power right between three branches of government. But in other parts of the world, even today, um, dictators and kings and people who are unipowerful, they can do whatever they want without abandon because they have that power to do it. And and really, that's uh, uh, a scary thing. I think you could be a king. And be a benevolent king, looking out for the interests of your people. And as a matter of fact, you might even think that by killing all the competition, I'm really, quite honestly, looking out for my people because, you know, the uprising and overthrowing and having a new king would cause problems. Um, and so I'm trying to create stability in my kingdom, right? But I was did a Pareto did a study a number of years ago, um, and he found out that, uh, and this just, is this just a way the, the world seems to work, um, is that you have a form of government and what happens is that the people at the top, if it's a monarchy like a kingship, or it's an oligarchy where it's held in a tight group of people, or it's um, a dictatorship, or it's um, other forms of government, what happens over time is that the wealth and the power starts to concentrate at the top. And when that wealth and power seem gets to the very, very top, then they act in their own best interest and they don't act in the interest of everybody else, right? And it it doesn't matter what form of government this seems to happen. Over time, this always happens to rise to the top. And so what happens then Uh, is that when all the wealth and government is at the top then um, the people start to get angry they start to get upset they say all the power and the wealth is concentrated at the top you need to help us out because we don't have enough to survive and uh if the if the power at the top doesn't listen then they get overthrown there's a revolution and you can look all throughout history where there's been revolutions i remember um being in romania uh and Ceausescu was the guy in charge of Romania, right? And they kind of went into his house and they drug him out and they killed him. So these revolutions still happen today. And if you go around the world, you'll find revolutions happening. And why do the revolutions happen? Is because all the wealth and the power is concentrated at the top and the people at the top do not take care of the people um, who are not at the top, right? And, um, and so they, this is revolutions now we have uh, we were basically part of an American revolution, right? Where that wealth and power was concentrated in England. It's like, we're not gonna take it anymore. So we took back that power and created the United States of America. And, uh, but if Pareto is correct, at some point, wealth is always attracted to wealth and power always floats to the top. And so the whole entire idea of the constitutional system of the United States, basically with three branches of government, is so that wealth cannot be concentrated in one place. And uh, it'll be interesting to see even coming out of this coronavirus, how this all plays out because some of these principles in life are principles um, that go beyond uh, necessarily forms of government. And I'm not saying that our form of government is ever gonna cause a revolution, but I'm saying that there's a potential for our form of government to cause a revolution, because wealth always concentrates to the power to the top. Fortunately, uh, you know we do not have uh, a police state here in the United States where they can go and kill people who um, are a threat to the people at the top. And I praise God for that. I praise God for the stability that we have in our country. Uh, I praise God for the ability of people to work together and try to figure out solutions to um, this coronavirus. But Again, the coronavirus is a threat to the power at the top, right? And um, I don't think, you know, we'll get revolution out of this. But theoretically, there's always the potential for revolution. Anyway, uh, I don't know how I got off on that. Oh, I did because we were talking about Herod. Herod was a bad guy. Um, We don't understand kings and queens at all. We don't understand absolute power. Even kings that are throughout the world, you know, most of them are figureheads and They've turned to more of a democratic type of rule, like in England. Um, but there are some places in the world where there are kings and dictators and people at the top who have all the power. So we'll finish this up. We're getting close. Uh, yeah, verse 19. So after Herod died, so he eventually died. I heard it was a horrible death. He had, I don't know, like um, like sexually transmitted disease. I don't know what he had, but it was apparently it was really bad disease. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are now dead. And so uh, they're dead. Uh, Herod's dead. So they go back, they go to Nazareth. Um, So Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning, so Archelaus is Herod's son, in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Uh, So he was warned in a dream. He withdrew to the district of Galilee, this hick town out in the middle of nowhere. It's like Vail, right? (laughs) I shouldn't say Vail. It's Bisbee. um, It is uh, Tombstone, Arizona, right? I mean, he went to a backwater district uh, and he went to live in a town called Nazareth. And so what was fulfilled, what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So here we have three prophecies, right? He's born in Bethlehem. He's also from out of Egypt, I've called him. uh, And he's also a Nazarene. And Jesus basically fulfills all three of these prophecies. He's born in Bethlehem. He spent time in Egypt. He was called out of Egypt. And now he's living in Nazarene. He was called a Nazarene. So basically Matthew sees this as proof that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And we know that he is because we have better proofs coming down the line, which Matthew will get into. Um, But um, interesting, interesting story. Uh, Interesting uh, time to be going through Matthew and kind of just seeing uh, what a king is like. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what the power of the United States, how they use the power to try to control the virus. Um, I don't think we're gonna go into a police state where we're gonna arrest and kill people um, but, it, but I think in, around the world that's probably happening. Um, it could be happening in great numbers, we don't know. Anyway, so uh, that's all I have for Matthew 2. Uh, thank you for joining me this morning. Send a note if you're liking this. Uh, I did get a couple people that said they liked this, and so thank you for that, I appreciate it. Um, and we're gonna gather together at eight o'clock every day until this whole study's over, or until the virus is over, and we'll see where it goes from, from here. Um, I do want to pray for uh, the one prayer request that came in. Um, so if we could do that, um, we'd certainly like to, uh, to do that. So let's just, um, oh, where'd it go? Uh, well, we'll pray. Um, gracious God, I thank you for this time together to study your word. And uh, I thank you for The fact that you led the wise men to see Jesus and provide yet another sign that he was the Messiah. Lord, I pray for everybody in our congregation, everybody that's listening to this um, Bible study, that you would overwhelm them with your grace and your peace at this time. Um, Lord, be with them and fill them with your comfort and your peace in this very trying time. And Lord, I pray for the Gardner family. I pray for, um, for Valerie who's still recovering and I pray for Angelina, who's in uh, New York, that uh, you would protect her in a in a hot zone. And for everybody else who, uh, who needs your love and protection, Lord, uh, fill them with your spirit and your healing, your protection. And until we meet again uh, and study your word, keep us all in your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there you have it. Um, thank you for being here this morning, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow.